And welcome to Got Me Live, folks. Uh, we had a pretty good show last week, despite some dropouts. And uh, never fear, the recording actually looks pretty good. And I'm almost finished massaging it. I'm sorry it takes me longer on this stuff. I'm still learning the ropes on a few of these things. But um, it will go up tomorrow, I promise. I think I got most of it fixed up today. So, uh, And meantime, we have our iTunes feedback. So you can go to the webpage and you can click on the iTunes feed. I believe it should be up sometime in the next 24 hours, according to Apple. It just took them a while to get back to me, Apple being what it is. Um, Apologies out there to y'all who had uh, issues with the stream. We are continuing to tweak and hope to see it improve as we get better and better. reason why we're late tonight is because <laughs> the software decided on the spur of the moment all by itself that it wasn't going to see both of us. It would see AJ or me, but not both of us. So go figure. I don't know. But anyway, thanks to y'all for being amazing and, and letting us find our sweet spot with the new equipment. Um... I think that covers all the stuff I had. I kind of condensed that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> all right. In non-mead-related news, if anybody's interested in knowing more about how we do this, uh, feel free to drop me an email, and I'll tell you as much as I've figured out so far, which is to say there's still things to learn. There's always things to learn. And uh, I am just kind of picking this up as I go and stringing pieces together to make this all come together. So... Um, it's an interesting thing. I might even do a podcast or I might even do a blog blog post about it. Uh, the trials and tribulations of making got me live live. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right, AJ, you want to pick up with the welcome? We got to get sure. our routine going on this stuff, don't we? All right. <laughs> Finally, welcome to got me live, a show where you can meet all sorts of people who impact mead making, including beekeepers, honey specialists, and people who turned a hobby into a business. As always, it's party time here at Got Mead Live. Your host is Vicki Rowe, owner of GotMead.com, and myself, AJ Ermitz, longtime winemaker, beer brewer, mead maker, and all-around bad example, really. And don't forget keeper of the toothless rabbit. And keeper <laughs> of the toothless rabbit. He got into the habanero sauce today. Oh, my God. I, I don't know what's wrong with him. And, uh, like, he didn't stop after the first lick, either. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's a nut bar. Yeah, that's crazy. <sighs> so, yeah, well, you know, he is he is the toothless rabbit. So, all right. Um, we're going to kind of get right into things because we're running a little late. Um, wait. Did I open the wrong show or something? I know I No, I think this. you just didn't update the guest part. No. Nah, the right I'd... numbers are on the side, right? No. Yeah, they are. I did update the guest part. That's really interesting. Oh, okay. Scroll down. I just went down a page. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, tonight we're doing Double Trouble again. This is going to be something I think we're going to do a fair amount of the time. So uh, we'll have uh, probably a pro mead maker or uh, industry influencer, B 
beekeeper, honey provider, something like that. Um, and then we're also going to, I really want to start digging into the whys and wherefores of mead making. And AJ and I have been talking about this and we're coming up with a list of stuff that we want to work on. So if you have ideas and um, AJ already um, kind of got a thread going in the forum about that, let us know, you know, I mean, what did, you know, what kind of stuff can we dig into? And this isn't just ask Oscar stuff. This is things like um, we talked about the sour mead thing that's going on last week with Frank. And so trends and things moving forward and really picking apart recipes, best practices, all kinds of stuff. So if you can think of it, let's talk about it and see what we can make happen. Um, I guess we should get into uh, what we're drinking tonight. Hey, AJ. Oh, probably. I've already gotten into what I'm drinking tonight. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I have really nice friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> I pulled in the driveway Monday, um, literally right in front of the UPS driver, and he leaps out of his truck and says, oh, thank God you're home. And I said, <laughs> "I said, okay, why? And he says, because I need you to sign for this. And I'm going, sign for what? Thinking there's like an IRS agent waiting to pounce on me or something. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, and, and he pulls out a um a wine shipping box and he says because you got wine and i'm like i got wine and i'm thinking i don't remember ordering any wine but okay and um i'll take it say no to wine <laughs> yeah and i open it up and it's a get well card and a bottle of huckleberry mead from ken schultz the owner of hidden legend meadery in uh, montana and he's so sweet. He sent me, he felt sorry for me because I couldn't go to the Mazer Cup. And <laughs> sent me a Get Well card, a bottle. He knows He knows I adore his Huckleberry Mead. Last time I was in Montana, I like cool. lugged home like four bottles of this stuff in my suitcase and had to stuff jeans in my tote bag and, you know, <laughs> to keep coming under the weight. And um, he, it was really cool. He sent this to me just to kind of make me feel a little less awful about missing the Mazer Cup. So if y'all like good well, just good mead. He makes a, a several different meads. They're all great and amazing. My favorite is the Huckleberry. Uh, but you can visit them at hiddenlegend.com. And this mead is both tart and sweet, as is the Huckleberry. And it's But it's not too sweet. It's It's got a lot of body and character. It's a beautiful ruby color. And um, I think it's just a fun mead to drink. It did get a little, just a tiny little bit pedalant traveling, but it was going from, you know, through all sorts of weather zones. So I'm not surprised the poor stuff is a little upset. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would be too, you know. But Mm -hmm. anyway, so hiddenlegend.com if you want to lay your hands on some huckleberry mead like I have been blessed in getting. Thank you, Ken. Shout out. You're a really good friend. I appreciate it, man. So what about you, AJ? That's really nice of him to do that. Yeah, he's uh, a good guy. Yeah, um, I'm finishing a bottle of my uh, Cranberry Mel that I started in 2010, bottled in 2014. I, I cannot get over the aroma that comes off of anything I've ever made with a significant amount of cranberries. I mean, even my you know Pucker Puss that I still have to spit out smells amazing. And uh, this particular one, uh, to go with the lovely aroma, it's got um, about 13% alcohol, and um, it, it just it fits really nicely. It's all it's all rounded out now. There's nothing harsh in it, and um, I can't remember the finishing gravity on this one, but it it tastes a little bit sweet, but I'm not sure that it is. Which I find that with some fruits, is after a while you get this um, perception of sweetness that it doesn't actually show up in the specific gravity. And I, I know that happens with red currants, and I, I'm guessing it's also happening with the uh, with the cranberry. Okay. Yeah, there's a, a – last year at the Mazer Cup, they had a lot of um, currant meads, the red, mm. and, red and black currant, and some that were red and black both. 
And um, then my hang on, Michael's asking me where to listen live. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've made Red Current a bunch page. of times. Type and talk at the same time, Vicky. You should get better at this. Um, but yeah, there was some there was some really good ones. I'm typically not a humongous Current fan, at least not Currents by themselves. And um, I had the opportunity to taste some that were pretty amazing. So. Yeah, I mean, you can do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, the only thing I wouldn't do, uh, the only thing I'm not sure of with doing red currants, because I absolutely love red currant wine, is turning it into a mead and having the honey still be perceptible. So that's that's one of those things that I haven't done. I've used I've used red currants a lot. Like I've probably gone through close to a hundred pounds of them in my brewing career, but I've never I've only ever used the second run for mead because it's a little bit less on the flavor. Yeah, I don't know. I've never had the nerve to try <laughs> currants. Well, you know me. I'll brew any. I'll 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 make a meat out of anything that sits still long enough. Well, they're not really common down here either. It's um, mm. you know, it's not um, it's not a regular berry. I mean, you can get them, but uh, ah. you know, you kind of got to go hunting for them. I don't think they. I don't think they grow wild down here. They might up in the mountains, but not down here in the Piedmont. It's just I think it's too warm. Cranberries are one of those ones that need that cold. To, well, the, to do their thing. Yeah, yeah, cranberries, I don't know. I, and I don't know what uh, climate currants like, but I know they grow really well around here, so they probably don't like it when it's too warm either. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the case. The same problem I have. I've got people like texting me going, "What? where's the link? It's like on the page. It's on the page. <laughs> there it is. Got me live radio show. That that page right there. That one. <laughs> That the one that says I'm looking at the page and it says live three twenty two sixteen. It's like God. Oh. Okay, uh, guys, I can only multitask so much before I become incoherent. I'm just not <laughs> that talented. All right, so uh, tonight we have, uh, as I said, double trouble, and uh, we are bringing in both uh, because the Mazer Cup just got finished. We decided that we wanted to kind of let folks know, you know, what was going on with that stuff. And the American Meat Makers Association has their annual meeting at the Mazer Cup, which, as I said, was last weekend. So we're having uh, Michael Fairbrother, Moonlight Meadery, and Sergio Mutella from um, Milavino Meadery. They're both on the board at the American Meat Makers Association. And they're going to come in and talk about the AMMA and what they've been up to. And also, you know, like what they have to offer, not just meaderies, but they've actually got quite a lot of stuff that they're doing for mead makers, just home mead makers. So I think it's really, I think it's a really good opportunity to let you guys know so that you can take advantage of it if you know if it's something that you're interested in so it's not not just for professional meme makers anymore um and then after we're done talking with them and they may choose to stick around i'm not sure we're going to have pete bakalich otherwise known as oscar who is president of the mazer cup and he's going to come in and talk about well, just, you know, what is the Mazer Cup? How long has it been going on? How how this whole thing got started? And go into maybe some things about what are they looking for when they're judging? What's a show mead really look like? I mean, what's it need to be? What should you be thinking about if you're going to submit one, uh, not just for making it, but getting it there in one piece? You'd be amazed at how many mashed up bottles we've seen come in. So lots of different things that we can talk about. And, of course, we'll be taking callers so you guys can um, call in and ask your questions. I'm sure I didn't even begin to think of every question that you have. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and um, 
get our guys in. And of course, I still don't have really good segue music to do this on. So um, AJ, while I do this, would you go ahead and uh, do that little blurby we've got for uh, the AMMA down there? Absolutely. Thank you so much. The AMMA is an industry voice for meteries within or doing business in the United States. This voice is communicated through the press, marketing activities, public relations, and working on legislative issues. We support research and advances in safety, sustainability, education, technology, and raw materials related to mead making. Political influence is exercised to secure fair legislative and regulatory treatment. We are committed to assisting meteries in producing quality meads by cultivating new ideas, publishing information on best practices, and supporting competitions. AMMA believes Sorry, keep reading. in promoting the living and acting active mead culture, which is thriving every year. Check them out at meadmakers.org. That's mead-makers.org for those of you that aren't familiar. We have got Michael Fairbrother. Hi, Michael. Hang on. I'm going to go ahead and pull Sergio in. I still haven't figured out how to make the ringing stuff not happen. I'm working on that, so uh, apologies for uh, not being... uh, (laughs) <laughs> not being not being sufficiently technologically advanced in this aspect. It's funny how much you find you don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, and no uh, yeah, and now we're bringing. Well, you're you're a geek, so you know. It's like every time you think you know something, there's 27 more things you don't. And of course, once you think you got something working, it stops. Yeah. Like oh yeah yeah that was just so fun. It's like five. Which is why ago. we were late today. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sergio, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Awesome sauce. Okay. Um, so, guys, uh, the as you heard from AJ, the American Meat Makers Association is, well, what it says is the American Meat Makers Association for both home and commercial meat makers. Um, guys, is it two or three years old now? Uh, three. Three. Okay, so it was founded three years ago, originally by Chris Weber, who is now owner of Dragon's Lair Meadery, uh, which at the time was still in planning. And he ended up refocusing to finish planning because it takes a lot of effort and uh, time to get your meadery to launch. And the AMMA has continued on with a new board, and Michael and Sergio are both members of it. They've been doing a lot of expansion in the industry, in the association itself, as also in the website and what they're doing behind the scenes and with just a lot of different things. There's just, it seems like there's like uh, emails and posts every day about new stuff that they're doing. Um, if you're not a member of the American Meat Makers Association Facebook group, you want to be. And if you're not a member of the MMA, you want to be. Um, I'm also on the board uh, as sort of an adjunct member. I help them with some of their marketing, but they're working on stuff like legislation to get the definition of mead set and also to get the rules changed so that uh, mead isn't sort of being unfairly, um, mead is taxed like way worse than ciders and beers. And so they enjoy like a much broader playing field than we have. So they're trying to get that, that playing field leveled somewhat so that we have a, an easier way to expand mead to the masses and getting it out there. There's a lot of new member services. Uh, they're also working with the University of California, Davis, and the Robert Mondavi Institute to offer classes in home and professional mead making, as well as running a meadery and there's experts behind the scenes there at the holy grail fermentation to um to start to really dig into what makes mead tick how you know what's really happening back there what is honey really you know 
when you take it apart, what are its components and how can we most, you know, how can we optimize that so we can make the best meads possible? So the AMMA set on changing the mead world. And honestly, I think that's, I think they're off to a pretty good start. So guys, welcome yep. to the show again. Thank you. <laughs> nice <to be> <laughs> but yep. with your, with your other hats on this time. So, <laughs> yeah. So I want to hear yeah. from you guys, you know, what is, I mean, I've, I'm in on the meetings and I hear what you're talking about that, but what do you guys see as the, as the big goal here? I, I know it's mainly, well, it's, I don't know what, I, maybe I don't know. You tell me, what, what's the main goals here that you really want to see happen over the next, say, five years? So I want to see need become mainstream beverage. So that it's not something that is considered for Renaissance fairs. That not every news article that talks about mead goes into the you know the ancient beverage. It just becomes a little more common knowledge, and that it becomes you know in the in the mainstream. So you know the, if you look at the, the American Mead Maker Association board, I think we won. What was it, Sergio? Twenty nine medals. Uh, just this 20, past weekend. Twenty nine total. Yep. I saw that. That was pretty cool. And and that's out of eleven members on the board, and you know, <laughs> and that's pretty ridiculous. Which is, you know, there is a small group of people that can make exceptional mead, and we're all working very hard to share that knowledge so that everybody can make great mead and bring it to the next level. And the more of us that can make exceptional meads on a consistent basis the more of us that are, you know, all of us are going to win at the end. So, yes, taxing, the tax rates on, on mead is is substantially higher than it would be for beer or cider. What, yeah, when you say substantially higher, you know, what does that really look like? I, I think a lot of people out so there probably have no idea. So beer taxes are essentially flat. So they never have a cost of living increase to them. It's been 30 cents a gallon um, for a long, long time. And here in New Hampshire, for example, the tax rate on wine is 5% of sales. So that means that there's an automatic cost of living increase to that. So anytime we increase our sales price, the state of New Hampshire gets an extra 5%. Now, when we sell a bottle of the utopian number nine, Vicki, I think you can comment on um, this is having a nectar of the gods. Um, you know, we're paying, you know, upwards of 60 times more tax rate on that bottle or gallon of um, utopian <coughs> than we would sell if we were making beer. Okay. So it's really, it's seriously significant. And does, does mead then tax like wine or is it in a class all by itself? So it's not in a class by itself. It's taxed like wine. But, you know, mead is closer to beer in that you make beer from water and hops and malt. And you make wine from yeast and the ingredient. But when you make mead, you also use water. Um, and so, you know, my argument to the state of New Hampshire legislators is that, you know, what makes it closer to wine than closer to beer? It's made with honey. You know, because you can make honey and beer. You don't usually add honey to wine. You know, use water. You make water from be with beer. So, you know, I'm trying to make the argument that if you're going to tax a beverage, a fermented beverage, why not tax it at the same rate? Why have a different standard? It makes sense. It's kind of like taxing, you know, your food. If you had a, a garden salad with cucumbers and tomatoes, 
charging you a cucumber for one fee and a tomato for another fee. I like that. That's that's a really good analogy. I don't know that, you know, I think that that would make sense to, well, you know, maybe the people who are making those decisions. I, I wonder how much of this is just lack of knowledge on their part. Well, there's well, a ton of lack of knowledge. <laughs> I hate to be devil's advocate, but you know, if I'm making a mead that doesn't involve or a wine that doesn't involve grapes, I do use a lot of water. So I would think it should be more on the alcohol level rather than the uh, than you know the the contents. Let's, let's play devil's advocate with that statement. That's so fair. Somebody like Sam Adams that makes a twenty three percent beer still pays thirty cents a gallon. Okay, that's fair. I'm I'm Canadian, so I'm not sure exactly exactly how all your tax laws work. I know ours are, ours are completely different, and probably equally weird. I think the simplest thing would be just just to, to abol- you know, to abolish any kind of taxes. How about that? <laughs> I like I like <laughs> idea. Just stop taxing it all together. It's too complicated. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be lovely, but that doesn't work. The government needs its cut, or else they're not going to let us do it at all, right? Just in the New Hampshire model, you know, there's 23 wineries in the entire state of New Hampshire. The amount of wine that's produced by those 23 wineries produces, I think, about $100,000 a year in taxes is what the state of New Hampshire says. Now, if you were to tax us at the wine rate or at the beer ratio, you know, you're looking at 30 cents a gallon for what we sell here in New Hampshire, and they're worried about losing that that hundred thousand dollars. They could increase the wine or the tax to, to 31 cents a gallon across the spectrum for beer and wine, and all that lost revenue is made up. You can't split a penny between 24 bottles to get you know, or 12 bottles to get your gallon, and raise that rate for consumers. It's just not going to happen. You know, there'll be some, you know, two cent raise for every case. I think the American population can cover that, in which we lower their wine fees in the state of New Hampshire. Well, I mean, and that raises an interesting question. If if the laws were magically tomorrow to be um, at the 30 cents a gallon that they're charging for beer, would you produce more? Yes, absolutely. I'd fire another employee. I pay $10,000 a year in taxes just to the state of New Hampshire, okay. just for the privilege of making it. So, you know, I could certainly look into moving my winery to some other location, but then I'm going to lay off my entire staff. You know, I was born and raised here in New Hampshire. It's called the live free or die state. They never said it was the tax-free or, you know, screw the winemaker or meat maker. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't, we don't know that that wasn't what they were thinking, but I kind of doubt it when they set it up since the folks that set up New Hampshire were big drinkers themselves, you know. Like, Probably well, we just someone saw an excuse for make. profit. <laughs> you know, we pay six cents a gallon for the cider. So it's 30 cents for beer, six cents for cider, and 5% of sales for wine. That's just so strange that it's so different and and the thing that gets me is it seems likely that if they were to change change the law so that it was a flat rate whatever that might be that increased volume and sales and not to mention additional hiring of employees who themselves would be paying taxes and and whatnot would more than make up for the loss of the previous way of doing it 
But see, here's where the world's tilted, right? So when you come to the legislators in your state today and you try to talk to them about this, they say, well, we don't want to even the playing field for you because these big companies have gotten the field tilted so much that they can be so successful. There's a Budweiser plant 15 miles from my house. They produce mm-hmm. millions of gallons of beer a year. Crazy. You know, my winery produced 20,000 gallons last year total, and that's what we sold worldwide. I mean, we're not even yes. a drop in the waistline of their system. Yeah. It's the same thing here in Jersey. Yeah, I'm about 18 or 20, uh, 20 miles from uh, the Newark Anheuser-Busch plant. And... Um, they got a stronghold on state. And uh, when you get into, like, regulations state-wise, I mean, now you got 50 states to worry about. The federal level is a whole other animal that uh, the AMMA is trying to focus on basically getting need more, more a more rec- uh, refined definition of, of exactly what need is and how it's treated and how it can be labeled and, and uh, what we can say on the labels without... <laughs> Um, with PTB basically being there mainly uh, to approve our labels to make sure that we're being, you know, extremely clear and not misleading the consumer as to what's in the bottle. You know, they they sure as hell make it a hard time for us to do that in a lot of cases when it comes to labeling need as well. Right. And if you try to describe something on your label, like I made a, um, you know, when I started my company with, which is um, black currant, blueberry, black cherry need, and I originally thought I was going to call it a triple berry melomo. And they got back to me and said, a cherry's not a berry, and you can't say that. And I said, okay. So we called it desire instead. And then I said, well, the berry-like flavors of this, you know, the fruits give it this kind of complexity. And they said, well, you're not using berry flavor, and you can't use that on the label. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not saying I use berry flavors. I'm trying to use an adjective or a descriptor of what I was trying to do. So, you know, the, the meat bankers today, you know, what we're learned as a body, we're giving that information back. You know, you join the American Meat Maker Association, you get on that website, you know, Sergio's given tips out there. I've been giving tips on how to, to make progress and as many others. And, you know, the community knowledge base is growing. Cool. So, so expect- I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you consider the, the association for what it is. You kind of compare it to like other organizations, like let's say the AHA. You don't really see too many professional brewers going on there and giving like amateurs advice or people who are looking to start their own brewery any advice, you know, directly or or have the capability to ask, to ask any of those professional brewers that you'd love to hear an answer from uh, anything to, um, you know directly at all. You know, the AMMA is pretty unique in that respect. Where I mean, we're all there. I mean. Just talking about the board of directors, like Michael said, we won 29 medals at the Major Cup on the commercial side of things. I mean, we have, there's a really valuable resource there for people that are just making meat at home that are trying to get some, you know, answers, and, or uh, or somebody that's looking to start a meadery or already started a meadery that's trying to, you know, figure out uh, how to rectify an issue that they're having, or or trying to figure out what kind of pump is going to be best to purchase. I mean, anything big or small, there's a ton of people there that are, you know, waiting to basically answer questions and willing to answer any question. Yeah, we're starting to get our first trade members, too. I mean, I've, I've got some 
um, backlog of trade members actually trying to join up and become members to offer, you know, discounts and, and supplies to, you know, mead ma- home mead makers and commercial mead makers. So, you know, <laughs> we've grown by, I think, a factor of 400% from last year to this year in membership dues and active members in the organization. And, you know, we don't even think we've hit the, the median at this point. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, oh, there's... Nowhere, nowhere even close. Yeah, there's... Nowhere even close. I think... 300 meteries just in the United States, and uh, God knows how many home mead makers out there. I can't even begin to. I can't even begin to count. I wouldn't even know how to figure that out. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah we've had some good conversations with folks, um, and what we're trying to do for going forward, where you know we're trying to look at getting a conference put together. You know, the Mead for Your Die, which is taking place at the end of April. Is a competition where we use the proceeds to benefit the American Mead Man Association. And you get a lot of great feedback from those types of competitions. So, you know, it's such a, I don't want to say the word buzz, it's, it's such an <laughs> yeah, um, uh, exciting time for all of us in the industry to, to move this to the next level. And we, and we need some help. You know, we, we, we have plenty of work to be done. And that's where, you know, we're, we're trying to coordinate you know, what members can do to help the organization and take it to the next level. Uh, you mentioned a, a conference, so tell me more about that. Are we talking like uh, AHA for Mead, or, I mean, what's the, what's the thought here? Yeah, and basically, uh, I think the, the whole idea is like something like that. It, it's basically like an, an NHC for Mead, okay. if you would. I mean, presentations, uh, you know, definitely a night where commercial and amateur Mead makers can Pour their way, uh, pour their wares. We'll have vendors um, <clears throat> showcasing new equipment and supplies and whatnot. Um, yeah, if you think of it as kind of like an ABC for mead, that's kind of what we're uh, we're planning. And this is obviously this is all basically all an idea right now. Uh, so this is something that we're definitely going to look into uh, to not only basically give something back to uh, to the membership, but um, you know, I think it's really going to benefit like the uh, the individual members uh, of the association. I mean, this is you know we could definitely have we could we definitely need a, something on the East Coast like a, a really big um, you know like the Mazer Cup as great as it is you know being like two thirds of the way all the way west as you could go something on the East Coast would be uh, pretty interesting to give a lot of other uh, mead makers a chance to try to attend somewhere closer to them. And uh, and have a little bit more, like maybe a day of presentations, um, have some different expos and hands-on, you know, hands-on simulations as to, you know, how to make mead and best practices and answering questions. And, I mean, anything that you could think of that would benefit an individual member all in one place, like in one weekend sort of a thing, and all revolved kind of like around, um, you know, another amateur and commercial meat competition. So think of it this way. Uh, another idea that's gonna that's also gonna be entailed, you know, and this is all obviously unofficial, all still ideas, but you know, the idea of creating, you know, the first national amateur meat maker of the year award, where all the points throughout the, all the meat only competitions throughout the year are tallied up including the um, the last competition at the, uh, the you know, AMMA-backed lead conference, for example. 
so how cool would it be as an amateur lead maker to brag how you're the you know lead maker of the year? That would be cool. And I, I I like that idea. So okay, um, the AMME is at this moment primarily uh, professional mead makers so what are you guys putting into place for the home folks i mean not all of them are wanting to start meaderies although quite a few of them seem to be what you know what what are just regular people like me for instance i don't ever want to open a meadery i'm having way too much fun interviewing you guys so um you know what what's available for the rest of us 50 50 split right now for amateur and commercial mead makers i mean i see uh daily uh mead you know individuals joining me up uh, on a daily basis so, you know, we are starting to make some headway, you know, and, you know, the question is, you know, we're, we're starting to generate, you know, the, the online forums and stuff, and we're not trying to take away from the got need side, but we're trying to figure out how to, you know, give people access, you know, to the professional need makers for questions. How do we, how do we build that knowledge base? Sergio's put together a ton of new tools or a ton of access to tools in one common location that, you know, I've never even seen before. So, you know, I'm finding it extremely helpful. And, you know, it's all about the process of making better me. Yeah, it really is. And, I mean, you guys have all heard me say it enough times. A rising tide floats all boats. Got me, just got the ball rolling. And uh, I am just loving the fact that there's so much me just breaking out all over the place. It's just awesome. I think that's... Well, that's the thing, too. It's it's all about, you know, and I think, like, one of the core beliefs behind the association as well is it's encouraging great need to be made. Yes. You know, anything anything involved uh, around that principle is basically what we're all about, whether it's commercial or on the amateur side, because your amateur mead maker today could be the next big commercial meadery tomorrow. So or, the more yeah. that we offer, you know, not just in, you know, like a forum on a website, or, you know, different resources on a website, but basically different ideas to really get, you know, home mead makers really honing in their craft uh, to to make better mead, try to get to the next level or not, but uh, even having some uh, some goals for them to set, to set themselves, even if they're not looking to go commercial, but anything to encourage great mead making um, is going to be beneficial to, to everybody all across the board. Yeah, I agree. I agree, definitely. So, all right, um, what about meteries and planning? And you got the guys that are sort of in that gray area, and they're not home, and yet they're not quite meteries. What's the plan for them? Yeah, so that, that membership uh, option is going to be created. It's just a matter of uh, going through the process through the board, uh, basically to officially create it on the website. And we're also going to be creating... Um, the option for existing commercial, uh, you know, corporate level members of the AMMA to also be able to add on uh, additional users, you know, for employees or other owners of that uh, commercial meadery to also have their own logins basically to the website. So all those things as far as like membership options are, are going to be added. All the details basically just have to be hashed out. But uh, we're pretty much uh, looking at the finish line on those items. So, so you are going to have some sort of middle ground place then for those guys, girls, right. people. Yeah, but what's the nice thing about all this? Was, yeah. <laughs> so the the nice thing about all this, fifty, sorry, Sergio, was that you know it's incremental. We're not like holding back, waiting to try to get this all perfect. 
you know, we're, we're, we're a grassroots organization building and working, you know, essentially changing the tires as we're driving down the highway. So, you know, it's you know a little lumpy and bumpy at times, but we're at least making progress. We're taking feedback from the organization. You know, we're, we're making this all happen. Yeah. I think the coolest thing, too, after the, a, after the AMMA meeting at the Major Cup, uh, how many people stepped forward? How many members stepped forward that are not involved on the board of directors or or in a subcommittee uh, or anything like that? How many people stepped forward more than willing to step in and help the organization as well? I thought, I thought that was pretty encouraging uh, uh, to see that much more support. You know, it's it's an effort that, you know, everybody kind of, you know, has the opportunity to put in. And the more people that we have behind the organization to uh, to get what we want done actually accomplished, uh, it's really great to see, like, all the people stepping up and willing to put in the time and effort. So, I mean, there, I think there's a lot of great things um coming up for the media industry, uh, both commercial and, and on the home making side of things. And it's, it's pretty exciting uh, to see where everything is going to go. And, and it is a community-based organization. I mean, we don't view each other as co- uh, competition. We view each other as colleagues in the industry. So you, know, you have that camaraderie. I mean, Sergio and I were sitting at the same table going head-to-head for metal-to-metal yeah. And we came out exactly, you know, five medals each, a gold, a silver, and three bronze. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations, yeah, you cool. guys. I was watching and, well, being really bummed about not being able to watch in person, but, you know, I was yeah. just watching all the posts. My entire feed was covered up with metal pictures. It was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, literally I mean, like, yeah, it is all. It is, we all are colleagues, but obviously, especially in a competition setting, there's always going to be a competitive streak. So, you know, Michael and I were looking at each other. You know, he won, he won a bronze, and then I won a bronze, and then, and then he won a a, a gold, and I'm like, damn, all right, <laughs> I won a gold. And then we're looking at each other. And we kept going back to back. It was pretty cool. We both basically won the same medal back. You know, one after another. I'm seeing, so I'm seeing like the, you know, the guys standing, the pawn shot, the pawn star guys, you know, standing there with their arms crossed, kind of half back to back with each other, looking challenging at each other, like. You know. <laughs> but I think, uh, like Michael, like Michael posted up on Facebook, though, I think the real star of the show, uh, the Mazer Cup, was definitely Superstition Muter. I mean, those guys, those guys Cleaned rocked up. it this year. They brought them four golds and a silver. Yeah, you awesome. can't beat that. To have, uh, to have judged uh, the silver medal over there, but. Uh, they really killed it this year. Um, okay, guys out there, we've got Michael Fairbrother and Sergio Mutella um, of respectively Moonlight Meadery and Melavino Meadery and AMMA board members. Uh, the call-in number is 803-443-MEAD. That's 803-443-6323. If you're international, you can Skype in to Meadwench, M-E-A-D-W-E-N-C-H, Meadwench. Think tavern wench, but with me. Um, so the, <laughs> the the lines are open if you have questions about the AMMA and uh, you know anything that that you have an interest in. You know, give us a holler. We're here and uh, awaiting your call. And so, um, how the how the meeting go? It looked like from my from my perspective through the camera lens, <laughs> it looked like it was doing okay. And you know, I mean, we you guys had a little bit too much fun with the uh, 
with the feed. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry about that. I know how those things go. Well, they win like that for us today. So. <laughs> well, oh yeah, that, that, that whole line the meeting was, was total last minute too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, and considering it was total last minute, I thought you pulled it off rather well. Well, it was great yeah, when I was sitting there at the table the while others were speaking, and I saw, and I'm on the video live stream myself on my laptop at the table, and then I see a commercial pop up. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, it was so funny because I know you were sitting there going, Vicky, shut up, because I was texting you like every 10 uh, oh, seconds. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I just, shut I just up, closed, just stop I just texting my web browser. me. Yeah, I figured you probably did. Yeah, because I'm like going, Sergio, the feed dropped again. Sergio, the chat just died. Sergio, it's not, you know, because I was trying to keep him up to date because I figured he couldn't look at it all, and I was just letting him know. But I know you were sitting there cussing me. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's funny, I, I Vicky, because I was getting I the same from uh, Ken. You were getting the same from, from who were you getting it from, Michael? Ken's Ram. Oh, were you? oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw his stuff popping up, too. So it was like, come on, guys. <laughs> Well, I saw it as, uh, uh, I saw it as, um, you know, I'm an optimist, so I saw it as, you know, I'm glad I, I have Vicky taking notes as to how we can improve for next year. Well, that was what, and, and honestly, that was my intention. It wasn't was not in any way to criticize, but to just let you know what I saw from this. Oh yeah, end. absolutely. That was you know that was working and not working. But I still know I could hear you going, "Fucking bitch, stop this right now!" <laughs> just shut the up. Can you see I'm busy? As every message, as every message was coming through, it was just like word for word uh, what I was thinking myself in my head. I said, "All right, well, next year we got to do this, and next time we got to do that." So <laughs> you know, there's just. It was the first time, but uh, we definitely wanted to try to, you know, give a chance for any of the members to, that weren't able to make it out to Colorado to have a chance to actually at least participate, um, you know, witness or and or participate through the live chat too, and you know, so I I will personally guarantee you next year is going to be two hundred times better. Uh, it's going to be pretty mm -hmm. seamless next year, where we actually have time to prep for it and test certain things before we even give it a try. Well, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's really, I mean, it, every, I start to get heart palpitations about two hours before the show every week. Cause I'm thinking what's going to break this week. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's How what is it, it going to make us look stupid this week? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, and I mean, there's so many, there's so many things that, that can work and not work and so forth and so on. But, um, Look, we've kept you guys a good while. You are welcome to stick around. We want to um, get Pete in here to talk about the other part of last weekend, which was the Maser Cup itself. And um, you're welcome to hang about, and uh, we can, you know, we can talk Mead and Maser Cup and all sorts of fun things. So up to yeah. you. But thank you so much for coming on. Um, you know, and giving people a little bit bigger picture because. The website's the website's good, but I think it really helps people to hear it kind of from the horse's mouth, so to speak. What you guys are up to? Well, what we are up oh, to, yeah. since I'm part of this game, you know. And apparently, yeah. <laughs> and apparently, I'm stuck in this in in this uh, particular position for another year if I heard Michael right on the feed. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the yeah. elections uh, procedure will start uh, October first, nominating. Uh, I, yeah. I'm, Happy to be elected again for another uh, two-year period if the organization wants me to be there. But you know, <laughs> I'm happy to go back to running my company too, or be an ex officio <laughs> on the board. So, you know, I am I am all about the transparency and and being able to let this organization grow. We've got a really good foundation underneath us at this point, and we're just trying to make sure we keep moving in the right direction. 
Well, I think there's a lot yeah. of good people that are stepping up, like Sergio was saying, that are getting into it and will um, want to take and contribute. So I'm hoping to see a lot more of that happening as we go through the year and you guys are doing more stuff and, and they see, you know, what can happen. Excellent. Oh, Vicky, yeah, I'm going to uh, drop off because I uh, haven't been home for a day in like a, almost feels like two weeks. <laughs> I know, yeah, so, uh, and, and thank you for, you know, coming in so tight on the end of the Mazer Cup. I know everybody's whipped. I know what I feel like after the Mazer Cup. It's like being dragged through a knot hole backwards, so. <laughs> <laughs> a lot well, of fun. The other but, great, yeah. <laughs> great news is that, the, you know, the organization, you know, we've got volunteers that really help pull together this uh, need branding um, thing. So you you might see that I've been starting to post, you know, uh, drink different, drink mead, and the uh, you know some sell sheets and stuff that we're really starting to help and brand. And we've got you know pretty major magazines starting to interview us and talk to us about it. And the industry survey, third annual industry survey, is uh, in progress at this point. So you know really good stats for anybody that might be a home uh, mead maker looking to go pro and. You know, seeing how we're, some of us are starting to do and how we're growing our businesses. Yeah, I like that, and and I cool. would like to be the first person notified when the T-shirts come out because I thought that was a way cool. <laughs> just the you know, drink me, drink different, and just the way it was put together, it looks really good. Yeah, I noticed the the photo in the background of that uh, shot with my meadery. I only noticed it today. <laughs> <laughs> It was subliminal why I liked it so much. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, say nobody's ever faulted you for not being willing to self-promote, Michael. So <laughs> that's part of the reason why you're doing so well. So yeah, that's that's you know, I'm a marketing person, so hey, yeah, you know, you know my opinion on the matter. It's it's a, if it works, hey, as long as it's not hurting people and uh, and you're not lying, it's all good. <laughs> great. Well, have a great night, folks. Cheers. All right, thanks, thanks for coming very out, much. Michael. Bye, Mike. All right, guys, I'll uh, I'll get going too to give uh, Pete the spotlight. Well, okay. thanks for being on, Sergio. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Sergio. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Pleasure as always. All right, have a good night, guys. All right, you too. Night. All right, so that was that was interesting. I know you're in Canada. You know, we actually have uh, John Way, who is oh god, I can't think of his meadery. He's in, I want to say he's in central Canada, but, you know, like south central Canada, <laughs> like south central <laughs> LA. Um, he's closer, he's down in the southern half of the country, but in the in the middle somewhere. I, but uh, anyway, I think that's where he is. And like I say, I've told you before, my Canadian geography is a little fuzzy in the middle bits. <laughs> but um, I know what the ends look like, but the middle part, not so much. Uh, <laughs> But um, he uh, is on the board as well, and so it is the it's the American Mead Makers Association, but it's really the North American Mead Makers well, Association. Yeah, to be be fair, aside from the the you know uh, country and um, state specific stuff, I'm sure there's a lot of help for anybody who's just starting up. Oh yeah, um, you know. You know, just you know, a whole lot of people who've gotten together to make sure that you don't make all the mistakes that they already did, just so you don't have to do it again. Oh yeah, it's totally worth it. I mean, the the individual membership <laughs> is, I think, it's either fifty or sixty dollars, and you get access to like a stunning amount of, you know, the pro guys going. When I was a home mead maker, this is what I figured. This is what I found out that worked. You know, 
And then they're also talking about how they upsize. So some of them, you know, like here's how I upsize to 20 gallons, to 50 gallons, to 100 gallons. So Yeah, know. see, that that is the stuff that I'll be going and looking for if and when I ever get my own winery off the ground. Please stay tuned. It'll be a couple of years. Of yeah, yeah. Well, I w- we will follow the progress with, you know, with, with great interest. Yeah, well... It's going to take great money first, and I don't have a whole lot of that right now. So I know, I know. Well, I'll tell you, if you got the 5060 to spare, I'd say go for the membership. It can't hurt, and I'll bet you'll pick up some good stuff that you can st- that you can sock away for you know the gathering of information as you head in that direction. Yeah, yeah, it'll definitely be something I'm going to be considering the closer I get to actually going pro. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was tickled. I'm in as an individual member, and I'm probably going to upgrade to trade because technically that's really what I am. So well, yeah, because that's now what, that that that's your business now. Well, I mean, Got Mead's always been part of you know one of my businesses, and technically Got Mead's always kind of been trade, but I've always just come you know come into these things as an individual. But I think I'm going to go ahead and upgrade because well, I mean, I want to I want to be you know put that in and be part of that thing. So you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna call Pete, and hopefully he didn't wander away from the phone waiting for us, and you know, is like sucking down beer somewhere. So <laughs> let's let's get him in here. All right. So you want me to start the next commercial? Uh, yeah. I'm all right. Go ahead and uh, bring him in now. And it's gonna ring, and I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to stop that. <laughs> I'll let you get organized first then. <laughs> yeah, we'll get him in here. Hello? Hey, Pete. It's Vicky. Hey. Hey there. Hey. <laughs> He's sounding all like yeah, Vicky who. <laughs> Got me Pete, you're sounding a little limp. <laughs> yeah. I didn't recognize the area code. I was like, what the hell? I, I thought about that. That's why I was just texting you to say, uh, Pete, it's us. Hello. <laughs> Pick up. We're not telemarketers. <laughs> no, we're really not. <laughs> How's things going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I'm going to get your sound level up here. Have you got your uh, live feed going there? No. Yeah, I'm hearing an echo, too. Uh, yeah, I'm hearing an echo, so I just didn't know. Or are you on the speaker? Nope, not on the speaker. Hang on just a second. Let me put my earphones in. Okay. How about I read the commercial while you're doing that, Go then? Go for that. Yeah. Why don't Alrighty. Mazer Cup International is like the World Olympics of mead. As the largest mead-only competition in the world, the Mazer Cup draws entries from home and commercial mead makers from all over the planet, and yearly judges nearly 700 meads in the two competitions. In addition, they host the Mead Mixer, Open Pour, and Pairing event, which benefits the local food pantry, and last year put over 600 meals on tables of people in need with their donation. The event just happened this past weekend, but you can be in the know by signing up for their newsletter at www.mazercup.com and be on the forefront of announcements for upcoming Mazer Cups in 2017 and beyond. You can also find them at Facebook slash Mazer Cup and at Mazer Cup on Twitter. And we're back. And we're, oh, yeah, you got getting a lot better tone, too. You were sounding kind of, I don't know why, you were sounding really quiet before. Ah. Well, I'm back. 
and uh, in one piece. So, <laughs> excluding the the flight last night from Denver was bumpy the whole doggone way. So, oh, no. it was uh, they, yeah, it was funny because they started to serve stuff, and then one of the one of the flight attendants got bounced up in the air slightly. Oh no! Oh, no. So they, you know, they scurried back to their little. Uh, jumper seats and strapped in and said, uh, we're going to suspend refreshments until we hit some smoother air, and then we just never did, really. I mean, there were patches here and there for a couple of minutes, but most of the time it was bumpy the whole way, so it was pretty windy. Yeah. We were bucking the headwinds all the way back. Wow. Uh, that's, I'm sorry. And, and is it, if it wasn't enough that I know you came out of that, like, you know, worn to the bone, I mean, we were, you and I are always just sort of like, Limp as noodles on Sunday going, yeah, okay, we'll just order takeout because the very idea of actually getting in the car and driving out to get food is just more than we can possibly handle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now it's just order room service. It's just easier. <laughs> I know. Well, now, <laughs> they now. Bring it to you, you eat it. <laughs> we didn't have that before. Yeah, they bring though. it up to you. you have your... <laughs> no, no, we didn't. And, and now it's like it's, it's a totally different experience uh, from the – the outlook and and we loved the outlook and they treated us like family there and the new venue is is pretty much the same except with a, just a very different environment and mm -hmm. uh, it's huge it's very elegant um, people love it and um, you know we we're able to, to go downstairs and people come in uh, through the front door and I'm uh, this year I was down there with like a little package of you know schedule of events and uh, about the Mazer Cup and some little handouts to let people know what was going on through the course of the weekend and over the competition. And they come right in the door. They don't have anywhere else to look but right at me while I'm sitting there <laughs> at the, uh, the Mazer Cup. <laughs> and uh, then, uh, you know, we had like a nice little tripod with the Mazer Cup and the schedule set up on it. So it was, you know, this, we're actually getting all official. You know, we're, we've, we've kind of outgrown the little mead competition that could and turned into something really, really big and that's going to keep growing. And uh, we're really looking forward to the evolution of the Mazer Cup International. You know, as we grow and as the mead industry grows, there's going to be a lot of new things coming forward. You know, I just had that when you said you were right there in the entrance and they couldn't help but see you, I just had this Animal House moment where I saw you standing there going, Pete Bocklich, president of the Mazer Cup, damn glad to meet you. Oh gosh! <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I even used that line, except it was Eric Stratton last year. I'm glad to meet you. you know? it was, uh... I'm somehow not surprised, but that was just all of a sudden that mental image, and I was like, and I can totally see you doing that. <laughs> oh yeah, I, um, it was funny because we, you know, we had a really successful mead mixer uh, last year. We were able to donate uh, sufficient funds to get six thousand meals out into the. Uh, the uh, Boulder and Broomfield County areas. Oh, uh, thank you for correcting that. I one, got that yeah. number wrong. Yeah. And uh, the the great thing about it is that this year we were able to double that, so we were able to fund 12,000 meals. Oh, that's oh, and wow. And it's really an interesting... Yeah, so we, we basically doubled what we did last year, and we actually had the community food share there. We had a table for them with their handouts. Um, about the community food share, the work that they do. They put out um, a few million meals last year in that area. And I didn't realize the, the, the depth and breadth of what it is they do, but just we're talking millions of meals, and it's more than one or two million. It's like up, up above two million and into the three million mark, if I remember correctly. Oh, 
Wow. And uh, one of the ladies there did a really great little presentation on it. I, I gave her the mic. I introduced them. You know, we kind of put the party on hold so everybody could see what we're working with there. And she just knocked it out of the park telling about the work they do. Uh, one in six families in those two counties is food insecure. One in six. Wow. That tells you how how deeply, you know, how deeply this problem that exists, in, and not only just in, you know, the the Boulder and Broomfield areas, but you know, probably around the country, based on, on what I'm seeing in the number of uh, community food shares, uh, and they're part of a national alliance. So. This is this is a big problem, and it resonates with the local community, and it resonates with us, and we're just very happy that we partnered with them. But uh, getting back to it, you know, they they talked about it. Everybody, you know, that was there, um, all of the proceeds that we were able to get from the uh, mead mixer, the table funds, the tickets that we sell, and the other associated sponsorships to go with it. That was everything that we were able to. Uh, take-in revenue-wise was donated to the community food share. So we're very, very happy about that, and they're just thrilled about it as well. So that's a a really worthy cause, and we're very, very happy to be a part of it and to have chosen them as our philanthropic partner. That's really cool. I'm I'm loving that um, it doubled from last year to this year. That's just stunning. And the photos I saw of the mixer, it looked like it was just jammed. It was, It was out of control, literally. <laughs> we had just, like, everybody, you know, going around doing great things. We had everybody from, like, a first, uh, you know, first freshly opened meadery, um, 801 Meadworks was there, um, to the Oregon State University, uh, one of their, uh, you know, folks who comes and helps steward and judge, Jack Tooley, is working on a postgraduate degree there, or actually a graduate degree. Oh, he came, oh, cool. Um, I'm sorry I missed him. Yeah, I like and him. he's so, pretty neat. Yeah, it was great. We uh, they set up a nice triangle tasting um, with little souf- plastic souffle cups with different meads in them. And uh, what a triangle tasting is is two meads are the same, one mead is different, and it's up to you to figure out what it was. Hmm. To figure out the one that's different, so you can smell it and taste it, and then you have to circle the number that it is. And so I walked up and I, you know smelled it twice and I go okay it's this one he goes you can taste them too and I go oh okay so I taste it and I go yeah it's that one so I circled <laughs> it and went forward and then he goes yep that's the one <laughs> well yeah I would have been so, surprised and, if you didn't get it right Pete okay <laughs> nah, I was, I'm always afraid that I'm going to miss it you know not because not because I don't know but it's just you know you always have that degree of uncertainty when you go into it especially when uh, you know the the you're not you're not there with your usual equipment like a, your own tasting glass and your own you know methodology and all that. It's it's kind of stacked against you, and that's that's why Pepsi always performs so well in the sip test because sweet always beats savory. But in a standard take-home test, a six-pack of each, Coke always wins. Sip test always wins with sweet. Savory test generally, most of the time, wins with you know savory because mm. you just can't take sweet over and over and over and over again, and that's why. In a head-to-head matchup, Sweet generally wins in the uh, sip test. So for all you Pepsi lovers out there, take a six-pack of Coke home and try it. I'm not going to say which one I like, but uh, <laughs> let's just say that uh, I've been with the rest of the crowd. Hang on, i got a guy yeah. who's uh, wanting to come in on the show. So 
Um, for those who aren't really, I mean, there's a lot of people that like know of the Mazer Cup, but they don't really know about the Mazer Cup. Um, talk, talk a little bit about, you know, how did this whole shindig get started? I know we sort of touched on that way back when you were on before, but, um, I think it'd be, I think it's worth revisiting. Well, Ken started the, the Mazer Cup, uh, back in the early nineties and it was really, uh, instantly a hit, a, a low, you know, a low-respected competition. And then uh, time and business got in the way, and it sort of faded out. Um, and around about the time that uh, I got involved with the International Mead Festival and uh, David Meyer and uh, Julia Hers um, and you and I had kind of a couple of powwows, and they said, well, we'd like to bring a home mead competition aboard. And I thought, well, gosh, that sounds like a great idea. So we decided, hey, let's let's go ahead and do that. And we talked to a few other competitions. Some of them were very open to working with us. Others uh, were not. And uh, we kind of took the uh, a view of all of them and kind of like, you know, worked with an amalgam of what we saw in each of them that we thought was great and the things that we thought we could work with and things we thought probably wouldn't work in the kind of venue and the kind of event that we had there at the IMF. So we started at the Home Mead Makers competition, and that ran from about uh, 2006 to 2000, I'm sorry, 2004, yeah. a little bit forward. Um, and then, you know, David was uh, was really generous to the mead community and, and really, really supportive, both financially, yeah, both, uh, you know, financially and, and energy-wise. And it just took a lot out of him. So um, wow. in 2007... That was the last IMF, you know, home and commercial mead competition. In 2008, um, Vicky, myself, uh, and some folks that we brought aboard, Glenn and Danny Exline, Wayne Bonchick, Kyle Byerly, um, and, and a few others, um, got together and said, hey, this will never I, are we going to do something about it? Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, and we couldn't let it stop, so we no. picked up and... Uh, we had another competition that year in 2008, and it went well. Yeah. And, you know, we were all afraid that we, we wouldn't be able to support it or we wouldn't be able to afford it. And, you know, you have all of those doubts, but once you start working on it, then you just, you know, you, you just surge forward. Well, we were blessed, I think, so, with, with a good team. I mean, we you knew some really amazing people, and I knew some really amazing people, and we were fortunate that they were willing to come and help. And, I mean, Glenn and Danny, having run a big competition themselves, were godsend. I don't know that we could have ever pulled it off without them, honestly. Right. And and we used, uh, you know, and are still using the software that Glenn developed for Commander Zaz mm -hmm. uh, down in Florida. And every year we've been customizing it more and more and more for the, for the Major Cup International. And in 2009, Ken came into the the competition, and uh, we were talking with him, all of us, and, uh, you know, he really liked what we were doing with the competition. We really hadn't settled on, you know, a name for it. We were kicking around names, and Ken just says, well, why don't you just pick up the reins of the Mazer Cup and call it the Mazer Cup International and move forward with it. I like what you're doing. And we all looked at each other and said, well, gosh, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, with with Ken's blessing and uh, and the other folks that were part of the whole initial um, wellspring of uh, of mead, you know, really well 
respective meat competitions. Um, we kind of moved forward with it going into 2009, and, you know, we've been the Mazer Cup International ever since then. We've really broken some ground for mead competitions. Uh, we've got, you know, a, a really good staff of people. This year we had close to 124 volunteers with a judging pool of close to 75. Nice. Um, that's, that's huge. And this is a nice. mead-only competition, you know, be, between... It's really funny because it's not just one competition, it's two competitions. It's the commercial producer's competition, it's the home producer's competition. And each one of those competitions individually are still the largest competitions individually in the world. First, the uh, the commercial producer's competition and then the home producer's competition. This year, combined between the two of them, we had 800 entries. Good Lord. Now think and about it for a second. Oh. How many, how many homebrew competitions are that big, let alone mead-only competitions? Yeah. Not many. No, no, really. And, and you know, and it's fun to do the math, too. You figure three to four bottles per entry, 800 entries. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners out there got to see the pictures. I know you guys will be putting up photos soon on the website and, um, and your uh, social media. But... Um, it's always fun to see the mead room where the staging happens. And mm. I saw somebody posted one, apparently it was at the end. Um, well, it had to be at the end because you're not allowed to take photos while it's going on. And they were like, they were like, I could die here. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is where I want to die yep. right here. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like 5,000 so bottles of mead. You know? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it's crazy. And the, the thing is, that we can't just do it in one mead room anymore. We have to have multiple mead rooms. Oh, have we spread into more than so one mead bottles. room? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yes. We, we did that three years ago. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. We had the home and, yeah. the, and the commercial staging. I'm just thinking in terms of the commercial staging, it's like, you know, you walk in and, and you expect, like, you know, um, you expect, like, choirs of angelic choruses to sing you to your rest when you walk through the door. <laughs> you know? It's like Randall Scott in, in Blazing Sandals. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny because just the, the home the home produced competition, you know, bottle room where we're sorting and pouring and staging and, and sending it out to the judging tables has close to 1,400 bottles in it. Crazy. Alone. That's without... Wow. That's without the commercial competition next door, which has close to 1,300 bottles. So over 800 entries this year. I got that number wrong in the commercial, too. I am such a dweeb. <laughs> I, I tried to get you, but I knew you were napping. I didn't want to, like, totally bug you. Um, but anyway, so where were we when we started? When when What was year one? How many did we have? Well, the first year that we went out there, we had, I think it was 220 entries between the two competitions. Which and that we was thought enough was to double. huge. Yeah, and it was enough to double Mead Lindium, which was the biggest one at that time. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, we basically picked up from there and just kept growing every year. And we've we've been growing, you know, over and over and over. In the last five years, I think we've grown, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 35% each year um, until we had to put entry caps on it because the judging pool wouldn't support number of entries we were seeing we're probably going to grow it again this year that's crazy so, um, do you think not you'll by, not think by you'll... a whole lot okay so you probably won't cross a thousand next year well i doubt it um again we have to have a consistently sized judging pool yeah and uh you know we have we have two days to do the judging so 
Um, it may necessitate doing opening another judging session on Thursday night, which will mean that, you know, we have to push back things like uh, the AMMA meeting and the um, the sensory session that we do to kind of calibrate judges beforehand to the morning mm. um, and run those concurrent with the staging and sorting and unpacking, not unpacking, but uh, the uh, staging of the bottles for the commercial entry, which starts on Friday. So in order to do that, we have to grow staff again. So we're going to be, you know, pulling some more people aboard to take a look at how we can do this and how we can grow the competition realistically, you know, without without sacrificing the judging experience and the quality of what's being judged uh, and how that translates onto the paper when... Um, Hey, are we back? Yeah, I'm back. All right, Pete, you still here? Damn. Still there? I'm back. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. It just cut out for a minute there. Yeah, it booted me twice. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. All right, we're going to get Pete back here. And... Uh... Hang on. Technical problems are so fun. All right. <laughs> Please uh, be patient. God Made Live is experiencing technical te difficulties. We need, like, yeah, it's too bad we don't have visual. You know, we put up one of those little pictures that says experiencing technical. Do, 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 playing elevator music. <laughs> it would have to be really, really bad elevator music. Oh, of course. Be. Yeah, it's got to be really, right. really bad elevator music. Terrible elevator music. Yeah. All right, let's try that again. Okay, we're back. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> well, we're getting echo again. Life happened. We're getting echo again. Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. hang on. We're still okay. Cool. We're still on the air. Yeah. Hamish hey, is going, wait, what the heck? We just lost the feed. Oh wait, you're back. Are you still on the same headsets, I'm Pete? I'm getting I'm getting an echo. I'm getting an echo. Yeah, I'm still on the same setup. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Oh, that's probably me then. Alright, so Pete, I was curious um about the meads that you started out with versus the ones that you're getting these days. How how is the quality of the meads that are submitted for competition changed? Well, let's put it this way. We had uh, a, a mead maker last year um, contact us during the course of the year saying, hey, listen, you know, I got uh, a 95 and a 90, 94 on two of the entries I submitted into the category that I submitted to. Oh, wow. And I didn't win a medal. How is that possible? And so um, we went ahead and set the guy on the uh, on one of the tables this year in the very category that he had entered, 
And after he judged that table, he came back and he said, now I understand. Cool. And what I'm speaking through here is just the outstanding quality of the need that is coming in from the commercial producers now. It's just, you know, it's just crazy good. And we have seen dramatic increases year to year to year to the point of where when we do the mini Vesper show after the first round as we, and as we head into the metal round uh, for the commercial producers, the quality, um, the, the elegance, the integration, complexity, and structure of the needs that they're producing now is just phenomenal. And it's, it's really gratifying to see that because, you know, they're really upping their game um, and producing really excellent stuff because they want to walk away with the metal. We've heard it over and over again in the last couple of years that the two the mead makers, the Mazer Cup is the mead Olympics. Walking home with a medal from the Mazer Cup is like walking home for a medal from the Olympics for mead makers. Well, and so well, just the overall quality is growing year after year after year, and it's the same way with the home producers. Yeah, you know, we we have people that are submitting things and they're getting these combined scores that are very very high, and we get questions about, well, you know, did this actually go to the second round? Did this actually get judged? You know, in the mini best of show, and yes, it did. The problem is. Even though your combined score was very, very high, it was on a table with six other needs that were higher. And your combined score in the mini best of show, you know, is that the technical grading has already been done. Now it's about which the best need on the table is. And your score doesn't really factor into that. This is basically a beauty contest. Hmm. Which one is the best? Which one tastes the best? Which one, you know, would you drink a cup of this? Yeah. Would you finish the cup you have? Yeah. Would you drink a bottle? Yes. Would you buy a bottle if it was available? Hell yes. And that's the quality of the meat that we're seeing now. There's some categories that are new where people are kind of experimenting and, you know, the quality is up and down and up and down. But as with any experimentation, you're going to see that. That's just the norm until somebody has it dialed in and then look out. Okay. It's cool that we're seeing so much... uh, So much... uh, you know, improvement, and I'm getting a weird echo. It's just me, I guess. So, and the improvement's there every year. That's excellent. So, okay, for people who want to get involved, how do they do that? How do they do that? Well, they send, they sign up as volunteers. Um, you know, sending sending an email to me or Glenn or Danny is, you know, just going to get a reference to the volunteers. We like to work with people that we know, that have a track history, that, you know, the rest of our volunteers know. Because we, we're very careful about who we bring into the competition as, as staff and as volunteers because we have a standard that we want to uphold. And if you have an unknown quantity and somebody comes in with the best of intentions, they may not have an idea of, you know, where we are as a competition and, you know, what, what our standards are. And we want to make sure that they all understand that. And as we move forward uh, with our volunteers and our staff, we want to make sure that we continue to uphold that and, you know, make the experience for everyone there, home need makers, judges, stewards, other volunteers, um, the meteries themselves, and the people that come to cover this from the press and, and uh, from folks like Meadology, and uh, we had um, meadmaker.com there and meaddrinker.com there, you know, Tyson and and, uh, Alan. 
you know, we want to make Alan, excuse me, sorry about that, Alan. Um, <laughs> we want to make sure that you know the people that get there. Number one, and most importantly, get get the idea of what the Music Cup is and what we're all about. And number two, have a great time doing it. And so we want judges and table stewards and you know captains, uh, table captains, and you know our judge directors, our competition directors. We want to have just as good a time as they have. And we want everybody across the board to have a good time. And so we want to make sure that everybody that's involved, you know, understands that and is willing to put, you know, their thoughts and ideas of what they want to do, um, you know, kind of on the on the back burner in favor of what the, the Mesa Cup International is trying to do. And that is to, you know, bring the best judging standards we can to the needs that are submitted and make sure that the best needs that are out there get awarded and, and make sure that, you know, there's a consistently high standard for needs submitted uh, so that we will continue to experience that improvement across the board by all the submissions. And I can guarantee you this year that that was definitely the case. Cool. Um, some of the listeners are saying that they're, you're kind of quiet and they're having a little trouble hearing you. I don't know if your volume's down. Now my volume's where it was when we started talking. How's that? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I think you're just talking quietly. Um, okay. Okay. So, I think a lot of people also want to know what's it like judging at the Mazer Cup. I mean, you you judged every year. I've judged every year since this thing started. So. Well, it's kind of like a. Uh, sitting down at a table and, and as they bring the needs out, you know, we switched to queue judging a, a couple few years ago. Um, instead of having a flight sheet where, you know, you each judging panel is presented with a flight sheet and there's, let's say, eight needs that are going to be um, judged in that flight and then, you know, the head judge at the table figures out the order that they want them to be pulled in and then they call for them either one at a time or have them all brought out at once. Now, what we do now is, because our categories are so big now, um, we go ahead and we take several judging panels on some of our larger categories. Let's say we have uh, 50 entries into the fruit meat or melomel category, and we'll take several judging panels, and we do, um, when the judging panels are ready, they just put a card up in the air, and the stewards go back, and they pull the first meat on the list and take it to the first table that's out there and they continue to do so. So we may have four panels working on the same category, so that means four different entries are being judged at the same time um, in that uh, in that category. And as they call for the second one, so in two rounds we've done, instead of just, uh, you know, like one need at a time per flight, we've done four needs, eight needs in, in two quick rounds. And so we get through categories very quickly that way, and it... Uh, it really cuts down on the palate fatigue and the number of needs the judges um, actually have to, to go through because the judges that work together and are, are faster than you know other judging panels will go at their own speed without being you know hampered by somebody on that judging panel that's slower and uh, vice versa. If somebody is on a slower judging panel, they can work at their own speed at their own comfort level without having to worry about keeping up with other judging panels. This way the faster panels go through a little bit more quickly and the slower panels proceed at their own pace and everybody's happy because they're not being either, you know, you know, held back or 
ask to speed up. They all work at their own speed, where they're comfortable, and it works out really, really well. Cool. So when you when you hold up the uh, the card, um, that lets one of the uh, stewards know that they need to take your uh, your panel number and go back and pull the next meet on that sheet, and then they take the the information. Uh, they go back to the sorting room and to the uh, uh, the pouring room, and they submit that card to one of the one of the stewards there, who then goes out and finds the next entry. They pull that entry and they go ahead and pour it. Uh, they put the numbers on the glasses because the judges never see the bottle. All they see is a glass with a number on it, so there's no way they know what it is they're judging. And it comes out to the table. Um, it has the information about the mead. This is a traditional mead made from wildflower honey. Um, and they write that down. It's still, it's sweet, and it's a standard strength instead of a hydromel or sack. And they write all that information down, and then they start judging. The first thing they look at is the aroma. You know, is it, does it present the honey well? Is there fruit flavor that's apparent or a cute aroma? Uh, apparent in the nose? Is there flowers? Is there other things? Are there off characters? Are there special things in there that people, you know, wouldn't norm- normally see? And then they go to the appearance. Is it clear? Is it cloudy? Is it hazy? Is it turbid? Is it brilliant? Is it gem-like? And move on to the flavor and the mouthfeel. How well is it uh, balanced? Is it structured? Does there have an integration of all the flavors there? Is it complex? Does that does that finish, linger, and, and present other flavors as it moves across the palate and as it develops after you've swallowed or spit. And we, of course, um, really encourage our judges to expectorate because uh, after two or three good, strong needs, <laughs> you're going to start feeling the effects of the alcohol. And so you're not going to be giving out really good scores. So, you know, we, we have... Uh, spit cups and dump buckets on the table there for everybody to go ahead so they can swirl and spit and and write down remarks. And so, you know, you move through each mead that way and you can keep the glasses on the table or you can have the judges, um, judges, excuse me, the stewards, take them back so you can keep the table clear. It's just up to the judge style. And, you you know, we see people doing both. So I think everybody's very comfortable with that. If they want to keep the glasses on the table, they can. If they want to have them go away, they can't. It's, you know, just fine either way, and that's really up to the judge or the head judge on the table, depending on how you want to do it. Well, and you learn the hard way, too. Yeah, my, learn the hard way, too. My first year, I first did year not spit. I did not spit. You got hammered, didn't you? Oh, first first set was um, fortified meads. <laughs> it was not pretty, not at all. Oh dear. Uh, Pete. It's funny because yes. We get a lot of questions about show meads. What's the MCI feedback on that? Well, we don't have a category for show mead. We have traditional and varietal. Okay. So show me can mean a lot of different things depending on who you're talking to. And I think somewhere along the way, traditional got kind of morphed around into, you know, just a a straight traditional need, meaning a straight um, need made with honey, water, and yeast and and nothing else, no, no, you know, like additions of uh, oak 
or mint or anything like that. But actual traditional mead from any different country can mean a number of different things because, you know, traditionally mead made in Europe and in different places would have any number of herbs or spices added to it depending on the time of year and what was available at hand. So traditional, I don't think, means just honey, water, and yeast uh, to a lot of people. But for our purposes, if somebody's submitting a traditional mead, it's going to be um, honey, yeast, and water mostly, you know, with the, whatever you need to add to it in order to keep nutrients uh, and, and in order to keep the nitrogen level up so you can complete the fermentation. You know, again, another one of those somewhere along the way, show me, uh, started picking up the meaning of being just water, yeast, and honey, nothing else added. Um, again, we don't have a category for that. Our, our analogous category there would be varietal. So that would mean that's just all orange blossom honey or just all mesquite honey or just all macadamia nut honey. Mm. And so now with show me the you know, there's this whole thing about not adding any nutrients to it and you know, I don't see that being a realistic thing to do, um and in many cases because without that supplemental um nutrient being added it's you know, you, you're going to have problems with keeping the fermentation strong. Um, no adjustments to it for pH in the same way. If, you're, if your mead drops very, very you know, high in acidity, you're going to have some issues with keeping the fermentation going as well as if you run out of nitrogen. You're going to pick up reductive aromas and reductive flavors and you know, risk of stalled mead. So everybody has their own little hobby horse as far as you know, nutrient additions. Everybody has their fancy little names for it and their, their little ways of, you know, like I only use this kind of uh, supplement or I only use this kind of nutrient or I only use this kind of nutrient and I have this calculation in order to make sure that I'm adding enough to make sure to get the right nitrogen level. But the thing is, I've seen a lot of scientific studies in the wine world where late additions, timed additions and all that don't really matter as much as early additions. and. Um, you know, you can go out there and look in the enology, um, the Journal of Enology and Viticulture and see these kind of, you know, studies done over and over and over again. So the timing of nutrient additions and all that, um, I think with mead will be slightly different than in wine. But, uh, you know, in the couple of studies that I have seen on mead, it seems to follow the same kind of course, maybe not parallel, but somewhat close. Sorry, I had muted to keep down background, <laughs> background noise. Um, um, what tips can you offer folks? I mean, I saw a lot of people on uh, forums and in in the groups and that were saying, well, I don't know if I'm ready to enter my mead. You know, how do I know? Well, that's really easy. When you say, I don't really know if I'm ready, you've just answered your own question. If you're looking for answers to things that you don't know, then enter it, because the judges will tell you what's right or what's wrong with it and how to fix them. So if you're asking yourself, well, I don't really know if I'm ready, or, you know, I don't know if I'm making good meat or bad, and you've just answered your own question. You know, submit it, the judges will know. They'll tell you. And, you know, they'll tell you in a nice way. That's one of the other things we're very conscious of is if somebody's taking the time to spend their own money to buy honey, to buy the yeast, to buy the nutrients, to buy the equipment to ferment it in, to spend the time 
and to buy the bottles and the capper and to cap the bottles or cork the bottles and send them to us. Last thing in the world we want to go is, if this is awful, you know, you got to do this, 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 and this. Because that person is never going to want to submit it to a, to a show again for judging. Uh, so we're very conscious of saying, hey, okay, there's a couple of things here that can be changed in order to improve, and here's what they are. You know, take a look at your temperature when you're fermenting. Take a look at making sure to supplement those nutrients as, as, temp- as the ferment proceeds. Take a look at your, you know, your bottling. Take a look at your sanitation. All of these things factor into making really great mead. And if you have all of those things and you're following a recipe and you're bearing in mind all of the things that need to happen in order to make a really great mead, then you're going to have a lot better chance of making a great mead than absent any input from people who aren't you and aren't your friends and want to be polite to you and say, hey, this is really good. And when you look the other way, they dump it out. Sorry, muted again. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that because there's a lot of people who are very hesitant. I mean, my first mead when I entered it was not good. But I sent it into the original Mazer Cup, the one Ken was running way back when, knowing that it wasn't good enough, but wanting to know what wasn't working and how could I fix it. And that's a really great reason to enter a contest, um, to, to find out the things. Or if you've got a recipe that you think is really good and you've gotten really good comments, really good honest comments back from your friend, but you feel that there's, there's something missing or something that can be improved, that's another really great reason to submit to a contest or a competition like the Mazer Cup because you're going to have the, the greatest collection of mead mines out there and it's going to get in front of judges who are going to be able to find those things in that mead that are either lacking or are there in overabundance and tell you how to throttle back or how to bring them up. And, and again, that goes down to people who know me and people who are enthusiastic about it being willing to sit down and go through, you know, 10, 20 meads in a day each uh, and, and to give good uh, feedback that resonates with the person that was making the mead and looking for suggestions. Okay. We've actually got um, Brandon from Malta on Skype, and he is asking: Is there somewhere where they can act, where people can access the information of how the meat is scored, so that so that they can try judging their own meats, not individual meats, but the you know the sheets the blank sheets themselves because he says this would be helpful for someone abroad who can't easily get their mead to a competition like the MCI so is he asking where we store the meads or where he should store the meads no 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 he's asking can he get copies of blank score sheets of blank score sheets yeah yeah absolutely all he needs to do is go to the bjcp.org and go to the mead um, uh, supplies there there's a, a section for mead and he'll find a blank square sheet there that he can print out fabulous great Brandon there you go go to bjcp.org under the mead section and those are the score sheets we're using yeah definitely and Brandon thanks for calling in man hope things out there in Malta are good I bet you get some interesting honeys 
<laughs> we got a cool and a great big smile. Okay, for those of you out there listening, we're talking to Pete Bocklich, president of the Mazer Cup International, and Oscar to those of you who know him on the forums and through Got Mead. And through this, um, if you would like to call in and ask questions about the Mazer Cup or how things are done or whether your stuff should come in, call us at 803-443-MEAD, MEAD, that's 803-443-6323. Direct or collect on your touchdown phone. <laughs> That's it. Or, or if you're international, you can Skype me through Meadwench, and I can add you that way, or you can just type your question. Yeah, we had a really good, uh, you know, it was one of the things that happened uh, during the course of the year is that Stowski Distributing, uh, who was our international receiver up until um, this year, uh, you know, decided that they didn't want to move forward with being um, a receiver for our entries any longer. Mm. And so they kind of left us out in the cold there. And uh, not that, you know, that wasn't anything other than a standard business decision, which we completely understand and we're very grateful for the support um, in the past. Uh, moving forward, although it presented somewhat of a, a problem for us to receive international need. Uh, we thought, oh, we're going to see a real big gap in our... Uh, in our international entries and such, and that just wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, there we saw absolutely no downturn in the number of entries that we received from international need makers, wow. both, uh, home and commercial. So um, the, it turned out really well. It looks like we have a couple of leads that we can follow now that uh, look pretty promising. So we're going to track those down and see what we can do with them. Okay. Um, okay. All right. Doug um, in the Netherlands right. asks, in the Netherlands asks, what role did UC Davis play in the Mazer Cup this year? What role did UC Davis play? Yeah. Well, how are they involved? Yeah. How are they involved? Well, the only involvement they had usually is people from UC Davis coming to attend to see what it's all about. Um, although in the future we may be looking at having some of their... Uh, um, school of Enology and Viticulture uh, professors out to do seminars and such. So uh, at this point, they are supportive. Uh, I'm involved with their uh, mead courses out there at UC Davis, um, and uh, I think we're working on coming together on some ideas for presenting uh, some things in the way of seminars or you know multi-hour courses available at the major cup going forward. Um, at least that's you know the, the vision that we have now. Making that happen um, a bit of a challenge because of the uh, the type of funding that it would take to get somebody of that caliber out in order to speak at the major cup. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, we had someone, as I mentioned earlier, out from Oregon State University, and they're very very aware of what's going on with Mead as well, and they want to be involved. So. You know, if it's not UC Davis, uh, we may see somebody there from Oregon State University or from another university. We're open to any and all uh, um, you know, functions of academia that uh, have wine or mead or beer programs and have people that are wine or mead or beer scientists that uh, are inclined to come out and share their knowledge with us um, and kind of help us build this competition into more of a symposium, somewhat like the 
Unified Wine and Grape Symposium held in Sacramento every year for the wine industry. They have, uh, you know, different seminars on different kinds of things in the wine world, setting up a tasting room, um, canopy management for the grapes, uh, vineyard management, uh, different fermentation techniques, fermentation science, um, as well as having a big industry hall where all of the barrel makers and glass providers and stainless folks and all the support industries can show up and they have a table there and people can go around and take a look at them. So down the road, as we move forward and we get more and more entries and more and more people involved, obviously we're going to need to expand the competition so it just is able to support the many industries moving in. And in order to do that, we need to be... Sorry, you cut out on that last little bit there, Pete. Well, in order to do that, to be able to be flexible enough to, you know, recognize that opportunity and, uh, you know, make accommodations for it and grab onto it so that we can add it into our competition and uh, growing into a symposium or into a, a festival, if you will. Okay. So going into the future, then, you see a fair amount of sideways expansion and into other areas, more activities. Well, I see I see it, you know, opportunities for all these things to happen. And so the Major Cup, we need to leverage ourselves and, um, you know, the momentum that we have to being able to catch on to these when they're available and add them into our program over the course of, you know, if it's, Right now, basically, we have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday kind of presence, and this may grow into a full week, starting on a, you know, instead of on a, on a Thursday, maybe it starts up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or even Monday, a week-long thing. It's, it, it just depends on where the industry goes and how we grow along with the industry as it grows, and being able to accommodate things, as well as recognizing trends in the industry, for instance, the popularity of session leads and the growth of that particular sector now. You know, we have a number of entries in that. We split that out from just session need to sweet, semi-sweet, and dry. And we're looking possibly at expanding that again into fruit and spice uh, and, and other categories. And, you know, uh, I know you had Frank Goldbeck out from Golden Coast Meadery not too long ago, and he's big into the wild fermentation stuff. And so that's another category in our experimental area, our open specialty, um, where we can start expanding categories as well. So as these things pop up in the industry, we want to be able to recognize them and accommodate for them and pull that into the competition as well as if we have any continuing education for commercial producers, uh, we'd like to get people who are experts in that category and have them speak on it, whether that's from academia or whether it's from industry. Um, the information is just as valuable coming from each. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to see where things go in future years. Me too. <laughs> sounds like the trend is going from to, to towards fewer and fewer weirdo mills and more and more different categories. Well, uh, the weirdo mill will have its own category. I don't know that we call it weirdo mill, but you know. It, <laughs> One man's weirdo mill is another man's, you know, spiced fruit mead or a wild fermented mead or a breaded um, mead made with a saison yeast or, a, you know, a uh, eggplant pomegranate, you know, horseradish <laughs> uh, 
salmon o mel. We had a horseradish one that one year. That was different. Yeah, it was different. But it's funny because, you know, I heard over and over from a lot of the commercial producers that were judging the home competition, man, these uh, these home meat makers are really thinking outside the box. And, and I said, there is no box. That box went away years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there's no box. There is no rectangle involved in the in the home meat making world. They... <laughs> They just run with it and come up with these brilliant different kinds of ideas. And it, it's really starting to take hold in the commercial producing um, industry as well. You know, we see all kinds of really creative different needs out there coming from commercial producers now. And so they've pretty much left the box behind as well. And, and again, just with phenomenal quality and, and just really great attention to detail and the process and the fermentation. And, and sanitation, making sure that everything is being produced in, in the most favorable possible condition as possible. I love it. I mean, just the creativity that's happening out there is just stunning. I mean, I've been in this long enough now to see categories get created, to see styles be invented, and it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, this is. This is what really makes the mead world great, is that, you know, the, the emerging styles that we see, uh, along with the, the, the popularity of different kinds of fermentation methodologies and different kinds of yeast or even bacteria. Um, you know, we saw at the UC Davis just uh, earlier in the year, in February when I was up there, um, Chick Brenneman, uh, along with the assistant winemaker there at UC Davis, uh, did three different meads with uh, non-Saccharomyces cerevisiae yeast, and they were all right in there with the, the stuff that was produced by, you know, commercially available yeast strains via the cerevisiae or Bionis. Uh, one of them was the uh, Starmarella Bacibaris, um, and it produced a very nice mead. Um, it needed some time, it needed to integrate, and probably some you know, some changes in the fermentation process, but, you know, the basics were there. So it, it's, you know, it's not just for breakfast anymore. There <laughs> are many different ways to, to get there and many different uh, vehicles, be it, uh, you know, yeast, bacteria, I'm sorry, yeast or bacteria, to, to get to that end. And uh, it's really up to the imagination of the weed maker and where he wants to go. You know, this is... You know, the science part of it is there. You have to know the science in order to make it work. But once the science has become a second nature to you and you're used to working with certain kinds of honeys in certain kinds of ways, with certain kinds of yeast or whatever it is you're choosing to, to make that fermentation happen, then it becomes art. Because once you've got the basics, you know, handled and you can make a strong basic recipe, um, then it's all about improvising. And really that's what we're starting to see now is people who have a very strong grasp of the basics who can make you know a basic need and make it well over and over and over again are now branching out and taking that knowledge of the basics and using it to improvise and make these wonderfully complex and structured needs that sit as any table uh, as any burgundy or bordeaux or rhone wine or rioja or champagne this is all phenomenal stuff that we're seeing now it's world-class we have specific information now about fermentation and, you know, mead, 
the fermented beverage made from honey is out there and it is competing everywhere. It's just, it's so cool seeing all this happen and and having been inside of it, sometimes it's hard to see the trends without stepping out and talking back in to somebody who's inside like you, you know, like you're being right now. So I can stand over here and go, oh, wow, look at this. (laughs) Yeah, it's really, it's really neat. I mean, I'm just glad I'm a part of it. I've, I've waited a long time for somebody else that's just just me a way back when you know that knew anything about it and all of a sudden there's just been this explosion of great information and, and great techniques and great you know all kinds of great ways to produce great need and it, it's it's really gratifying to see that it really is it really is well, I I know you're like like the guys earlier. <laughs> you're worn out. You've been a busy guy for the last five or six days. Yeah, we've uh, we've we've really worked pretty hard. The whole crew just killed it this year. We did an absolutely brilliant job of putting this thing on. We got a lot of just really great and really sincere feedback from all of the participants. Uh, home meat makers and commercial meat makers, uh, the community food share, the hotel itself, they love us. You know, we're a lot hmm. of fun according Yay. to them and you know, we want to keep doing that and making it that way. So, you know, for us it, it was a really good year. We're very, very happy that, you know, people enjoyed it and we want to keep improving that experience as well. Not just for the not just for the people that are mead centric that come in there, the people that make it or the people that drink it or the people that are enthused about it. But the new people. I met a couple of people there who I overheard talking, and they don't make mead themselves. Um, they're not part of any forums. They're, they don't belong to any you know, clubs or anything like that. But they were just there to come to the mead mixer to see if they, the two of them could find one mead that they both liked. <laughs> and so while I was in the mead mixer, I found them over at the table. I walked over and said, hey, how are you guys doing? they got big smiles on their faces. We're doing great. And I go, did you folks find any meads that you both like? And they go, we haven't even been around one side, and we've already found three that we both like. Oh, great. Nice. Oh, great. Exactly. So to me, that speaks volumes. These are two people that, you know, couldn't agree on one mead, and all of a sudden, in in less than an hour, in less than one side of a four, you know, a four-walled room, they found three that they liked together. So that should speak out to the universal appeal of mead. Um, you know, wine lovers will like it. Beer drinkers will like it. You know, there's this notion that mead always has to be sweet. It doesn't, as anybody who's actually tried it would know. Um, so go out there, experience it, give it a try. Find the things you like, find the things you don't like, you know, find the things that, that resonate with you and others and share because that's yeah. what mead's all about. Well, what is it that um, um, Michael Fairbrother was saying earlier? They've got this new piece of advertising. It's called uh, Drink Different, Drink Mead. Drink Different, Drink Mead. Yeah, and what a great idea because it yeah. is different. And, and that's one thing. I, I, I can't tell you how many people who I've met that don't like wine and don't like beer, but they sit, you sit mead in front of them and they go, oh, this isn't, you know, harsh like wine, and it's not like, you know, foamy and bubbly and filling like beer. This is very different. This is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, try it. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell your dog. Tell your cat. Tell everyone. 
you know, there's, there's a need out there for everyone, and, you know, everyone can appreciate it, um, even if it's something that's, you know, completely off kilter. If you don't like the high alcohol of wine, get a session mead. If you don't like the, you know, the foaminess of beer, try something different with mead. It's, yeah. it's really up to the imagination of the person that wants to try something new to go out and do it. And uh, the mead market is really filling that gap. It's the fastest growing sector in the adult beverage industry. It really is. And uh, I, I, I hark back to what David Myers used to say in Redstone. Ask, he, he says you know, he would go into places to say, ask for mead. Just ask for it. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I know you're, like, whipped. <laughs> So, <laughs> we're going to let you get back to being whipped and, and recovering from the Mazer Cup. <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, AJ, it was, it was great speaking with you again tonight. And, and Vicky, the same. It's always a pleasure to hop onto the show and, and talk. And it's always nice that people will actually listen to anything that I have to say. I still kind of you know, look at myself in a mirror when I'm talking and think to myself, why, why would anybody want to listen to me? But rightly or wrongly i guess they do so that's a good thing and <laughs> hey doug uh i know doug from the netherlands called in I'd like to say give him a shout out um we had a conversation going about uh, a nutrient calculator and things like that i haven't been able to get back to him because i've been so picking busy with the uh, the maser cup since last year but uh, uh just to let him know that i did put those questions out there in front of people at uc davis and and uh, so I'll, I'll get back to him. It's just a matter of time. And uh, I'm sorry it's taking so long, Doug. So I hope everything's going well with you out there. No, he's typing um, back. He must have heard you. Typing back. He must <laughs> you. Oh, okay, good. He says, hi, Pete. Yeah. Hi, Pete. Yeah, so it's just been it's just been crazy busy. And we're looking at an even busier schedule. We're already planning out to 2018. So Wow. Uh, we are we are hard at it already again. I think it's like a full time job on top of the full time job. <laughs> well, I mean, come on, what were we doing before well, when it was just getting started? It was 70, 80, 90, 100 hours. 70, 80, 90, 100 hours. Then it was 200 hours. Then it was like three or 400 hours a year that we're putting into putting this together. Yeah, and it takes a lot of time. It, it does. Really does. Time it really does. It does. A so shout out. Eventually wear down shout out. Yeah, I mean, shout out to all the people right who volunteered and judged at the Mazer Cup this year because y'all rock out loud. I mean, I know, been there too. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I'd really like to acknowledge is, you know, the competition is only good as the volunteers and uh, and the people that are actually doing, you know, the picking up the bottles and the clearing of tables and bringing the meat out to the table, the judges and you know, the stewards and the and the pouring staff and everybody else there. I mean, what a great collection of people who are willing to take their time off to come out and volunteer to work their asses into the ground for a bottle of meat. And <laughs> I just want to say that I can't thank them enough for making our competition so successful because without them, we wouldn't have a competition. And, uh, you know, one of the other things that really helps make the competition is the sponsors that we have. And I'd really like to thank all of our sponsors this year and I hope I remember all of their names. I know we had uh, Elite Brands uh, who receive our um, domestic entries. Uh, we had Rabbit's Foot, um, Hunter's Moon Mead, uh, Meadmaker.com, Dragon Mead, um, 
Hidden Legend Winery, who's been a longtime sponsor as well. Um, Hunter's Moon also sponsored the Sensory Session by sending a couple bottles of meat in. Mm. Um, um, Moonlight sponsored the uh, BJCP meat exam with some meat for them to evaluate. Um, Nectar Creek. And uh, I'm hoping Got I'm remembering everybody. Got mead. <laughs> Got mead. Got mead. And, uh, uh, and of course, uh, you know, the... Uh, be wrapped people who are you know who come in and help uh, you know the, all the folks who do the publication for us and the uh, the, uh, the meat mixer tables um, all of those folks you know all of their many went to support the community food share and and we were able to, to donate enough to support 12,000 meals so everybody there can you know hang their hat on that that's a really great accomplishment and I'm glad that we had so many people being a part of that so that's amazing. That's a great that's thing. Amazing. Yeah, it really is. And uh, so with that, it's uh, reached about the end of where I'm talking. Yeah. Well, and I want to let you yeah. get, you know, back well, to, like, say, being you get, you know, back to really like, tired. Really tired. <laughs> 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 All right. AJ, how's the weather up here in Canada, eh? Oh, it's snowing again, and we're supposed to get another six inches on Thursday. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, you know, that's great. It's funny, because thanks, thanks for reminding me. We, uh, you know, the California boy here flew out to uh, <laughs> to Denver, and uh, the first night I'm there, I see a little bit of snow for you. The next morning, um, they say that it's going to start snowing, you know, and it's going to be a lot of snow on Friday. Well, Thursday morning, when I went out there to start meeting and greeting people as they come into the hotel to check in, yeah, it, it's snowing like there's a blizzard outside. It was great. <laughs> and then I'm thinking to myself, oh, wait a second. We had this problem once before. If it snows a lot, we're going to be missing judges. So Friday morning, I think they'd gotten like four or six inches or something like that. And, of course, there's cars spun out all over the road. The parking lot it hasn't been, you know, snow plowed. And uh. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a problem. Sure enough, we had a number of people that were, you know, like took three times as long to get to the hotel as it would have normally without the snow. So... It's a mixed blessing, but that Friday morning when we were judging commercials, the first round that I'm judging, I'm sitting at a table, um, and I my seat is facing the window, and the window is open, and I just see the snow falling and settling onto the bushes and the plants around and just making everything white outside. It was the the most wonderful kind of view that you could have when you're judging meat, and cool. you know, we, we all just sat there and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I saw y'all posting pictures of the whiteout, and I was so jealous. It was fun. It looked like it was. Well, look, dude, um, you know you're going to be back again. I'm not going to let you think that you won't be, but uh, <laughs> go get some rest, and good job. You know, great, great event. Everything sounds like it went fabulously. Yeah, we had a great time, and thanks so much for having us on. Oh, thanks for, thank you so much for having uh having taken some time out of your recovery to talk <laughs> <Yeah>. to us. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, and I will uh, hang up now and say hello to all those people out there that love mead, and uh, I wish you the best. And keep making mead if you're a home mead maker, and keep trying new things if you're not. I'll talk to you all soon. Sounds good, Pete. Thanks, hon. Sounds good. Bye, Pete. Thanks, hon. Good night. Bye, night. Okay. 
Yay, the echo is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on with his mic, but there's something there. I don't know. I'll talk to him privately and see if maybe he's having trouble with his headset or something. Oh. Yeah, I was getting really good. I was having to remember my old radio days when you always had that two-second delay and you had to be able to talk over that to do your DJing. Because they did it on purpose then, so you could hear what you sounded like, and you just had to get used to it. And at, at first, you know, you, you talk like a drunk person, and, you know, until you get the hang of it. But um, I just kind of tuned it out. But, um, yeah, so guys out there, if you're thinking about, you know, if you ever even considered the possibility of putting your media into a competition, you should. And it doesn't have to be the Mazer Cup. Do it at a local comp. Do it at a regional comp. Do it at the Mazer Cup and meet for your die. Do it at, uh, you know, at, at the... Um, oh, at the local pagan gathering is where mine got entered. Yeah. I didn't even know I was entering. And yeah. I got some really good feedback from it, even from, you know, even from non-professional judges. Yeah, take it to an SCA event, to the Domers Cup. I mean, there are so many places where you can get good... Uh, Honest not, feedback. Yeah, nonpartisan feedback, where it's not your friends going, dude, this stuff is so good, when it's not, you know. <laughs> or I, not, not that it isn't, or that maybe that they just don't necessarily know. Or they might not know, yeah. Yeah. I, and, I mean, let's face it, your friends are going to say nice things. And uh, if you honestly want to know what's working and what isn't, take it to a competition. Because that's the best way to find out. I mean, mine, oh my God, my first meet got dinged in every possible way, but I got some amazing feedback. And yeah, it kind of hurt to have them say, yeah, dude, no, um, this is so not ready to drink yet. But <laughs> at the same time, they were like, but if you do this and this and this and give it some more aging and give it 10 years <laughs> yeah actually it was actually three years is what it ended up being and it was nectar of the gods at that point i had like one bottle of it left i'm like fuck yeah <laughs> so right. i actually found the recipe the other day i'm like i'm gonna try that again and see if with fermentation management if i can actually make it taste good i don't know we'll find out but um it's uh you know but it was the the feedback i got was invaluable and honestly the feedback i got from that was probably what ultimately ended up launching got mead wow okay that's cool yeah it's cuz because suddenly i realized that i wasn't alone that there was other people out there who were interested in that and i thought wow how many other people are out there thinking, well, it's just me and I'm doing this and nobody has any idea what this stuff is, and so how would they know if it's good or not? I don't even know if it's good or not. That's, okay, that's a really good point. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's less of that now. You know, I mean, our world is a bigger world, mean-wise. It's a, you know, there's a lot more of us than there was 25 years ago, but um, it's, there are people who feel isolated who don't think that they've got a community well we're there we're out there and we want to know what you're making and we're interested so you know and i guess the thing to remember with competitions is that you have to figure out whether you're in it to win or in it to get feedback oh yeah i could care less about the winning i mean the medals are nice and all i mean i don't mind i've got my i got my share of you know medals and mazers and whatnot and that's sweet but Honestly, I'm in it to get feedback. I want to know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, exactly. And and somebody who knows what they're looking for could tell you that. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, 
to have Ken Schramm, and this was back in like 1992, okay? <laughs> to have Ken Schramm, oh, you know, it's like, yeah. We, you know, we need to get a sound bite of that, yeah, you know? I think I may actually have a sound effect <laughs> for that somewhere. This thing has cool sound effects. I just got to track them all down. I just haven't had a chance to go cue them all up and play with them. But yeah, we need the Randolph Scott choirs of things, you know. Um, you know, Ken Schramm, oh, you know, he's rolling his eyes and he's listening. They were not right worthy. Now. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's rolling his eyes if he's listening. You know, it's like Ken Chan, we're not worthy, dude. We're not worthy. Chan chan, chan 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 chan. What happens when half a bottle of mead later? Um, okay, so um, guys, that is uh, we've got a few shout outs here at the end. Upcoming events, the next good size competition happening, and. People out there, if you've got a local competition that you'd like us to announce, all you got to do is send it to GotMeLive at GotMeLive.com. We will be happy to announce your event. Give us the name of the event, the date of the event, and if you've got a website, the website of the event so that we can let people know you're out there. Um, the next one I know of, off the top of my head, is Mead Free or Die. This is the event put on by Michael Fairbrother. And, Michael, please forgive me. I cannot remember who you're partnering with, isn't it? Ash? Is it is it Saphosh you're partnering with? I can't remember. But anyway, he's partnering with another meadery, and they put this on, and all proceeds go to help the AMMA, who was, you know, them on earlier, to further the research, study, and expansion of mead in the world. So um, it's a great competition and uh, good size. It's up in Hampshire at the end of the month. I would love to go up and judge. Sadly, I have another event that I have to be at in uh, down here in the south that weekend so not for me not this year i'm hoping next year so uh mead free or die it is mead free or die dot com you know new hampshire live free or die it's like that um our next guest is uh, i'll let aj do this because it's uh she's the one who found this next guest for us well, everybody on Got Mead has heard at least once or twice about the bomb, B-O-M-M, Bray's One Month Mead. Well, we've got Bray coming on to talk to us. So we'll be talking about mead making with Bray. Of, we'll, be, <laughs> we'll be talking to Bray of Bray's One Month Mead. So uh, we'll be talking about techniques and recipes and who knows what all else. So call in and join us. This one's going to be more of an open party kind of thing. Um, Bray's going to come on and talk about his technique, and uh, I'm kind of curious how he came up with this thing. This will be really, this should be really interesting. And well, I remember from early on reading how he did his experiments on, and he he logged them all on Got Mead. Oh, did he? So okay. Yeah, yeah, it's there, and he show, he you know said what he did and what yeasts he he came up with, and I just I want to hear about the whole process again. And, yeah. you know, all the refinements and stuff that he's come up with since. Oh, yeah, totally, because I'm sure he's fine-tuned that thing. And uh, if if all things work out, in case you guys don't know, Bray's actually a musician, a professional musician. And he said he might actually do some custom intro-outro stuff for us, so we're kind of excited about that. Um, <laughs> AJ and I are talking to him right now and trying to decide upon just the right music, and then we've got to set up the voiceover. But soon, soon, maybe... Next couple of episodes, we'll have an actual professional intro and outro, and we're really tickled about that. We'll actually have our shit together. Yeah, Who well, said that? Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> Things will start to break, dude. Yeah, as soon as we as soon as we go off air today, I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna write down like every single setting on every single program, and you know, so next month, next week, it isn't gonna be like ah, 
why is this not working? Uh, <laughs> and we'll start an hour before live. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, both of us. Both of us were down to the wire today. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, life. Darn it. Interfering with our hobbies once again. Um, so, that's our show, guys. Actually, no, for me, it was my hobbies interfering with my other hobbies. Yeah, well, there's that, too. Yeah, there's that. So um, that's our show for this week, guys. We'll be back next week uh, with Bomb and Bray, of the, the inventor of the bomb. And uh, hopefully we will get uh, insights never uh, heretofore explained to the public. Um, I don't know. We'll find out. And uh, you'll have to tune in to find out, too. So be ready. Have time. Be somewhere. And call in and join the conversation. Um, and just one last shout out to Chris from Miss. Chris from Miss, I hope all is going well out there. Haven't heard from you in a bit. I'm going to drop you an email tomorrow just to check in on you. And uh, just want to say, hey, we're thinking about you, man. Yeah, I hope everything's going out well for you. Yeah, we miss seeing you on the show. So hopefully we'll hear from you soon. All right, so say goodnight, AJ. Goodnight, AJ. Say goodnight, Vicky. Goodnight, Vicky.